Okay, this is Tips for Lawyers podcast episode 9. And welcome once again. If you've been listening since episode 1, that's awesome. If this is your first episode, that's pretty awesome too. Feel free to go back and listen to some other episodes about various issues that may interest you. But episode 9 is going to be about writing an advice that a client will actually read. Before I get into that, I did have a few things I wanted to cover. Uh, The first is if you've been listening to a podcast uh, for a while, if you've listened to a few episodes and you're getting something out of them, I'd appreciate it if you could jump onto the iTunes site and leave a five-star review and a nice comment of some sort to tell other people what it's about and that you're enjoying it. It would be really beneficial for me. I'd appreciate it. It's just a little something that can help me stay visible as my stint in New and Noteworthy is probably going to come to an end sometime soon. So hopefully you guys can help me out in that. I'd really appreciate it. What I will do uh, to make it easy for you, if you go to either the show notes, which for today are at tipsforlawyers.com slash episode 009, or I'll just set up an automatic link. So if you go to tipsforlawyers.com slash iTunes, then I'll set that up so that that link will take you straight to the iTunes subscription page. You can leave your star rating or your comment there. You'll need to be logged into iTunes, but I'm sure you guys can figure it out. Not too difficult. Would really help me out. So if you can take a couple of minutes to do that after you've listened to the podcast today, then that would be great. The next thing I wanted to mention is that next week's podcast is going to be a bit different. So what I'm going to do next week is, in fact, give you a free excerpt from day one of the Building Better Business Skills course that I'm about to release. Don't know whether I'll actually have released it by next week's podcast, but the next podcast that you listen to will be day one, absolutely free. It's an overview of the course, and it will give you a good idea of what you can expect if you were to get that course. And I'll give you all the details then. It is not released yet. I'm on the verge of releasing it. I've got to do some audio things and I've got to do a little bit of finalizing how I'm actually going to get it presented. But by and large, it's ready to go. So the next podcast you get from me will be a bit of a special episode and a bit of an idea um, just in advance. It's going to be about how you can add value to the firm. So keep an eye out for that. It's something I'm looking forward to releasing. It's something I hope will be really beneficial for you guys And I'm releasing that day one to you because I think it's the best way of you guys having an idea of what's there so you can decide whether it's a course you're interested in taking part in. So that's the introductory. Let's have a chat now about today's topic, which is writing an advice that a client is actually going to read. Pretty interesting topic. A lot of people have problems with this kind of thing. And what's interesting about it is that a lot of those people actually don't know that they have problems with this kind of thing. And there's a few reasons for that, and we will get into that. But first, let's have a talk about what the goal actually is when you're writing an advice to the client. I think a lot of us leap into writing an advice and we get in habits early on in our careers that don't necessarily do ourselves or our clients any favors when it comes to it. So think for a moment, what is the point of writing an advice to a client? It's not actually a trick question that I'm asking you there, just so you know, in case you think I'm trying to bamboozle you in some fashion. The point of writing an advice to a client is to advise the client. Yes, it is in fact that simple. It's to advise the client. Now, specifically, it's to advise the client on the topic that they have sought your advice on. 
And I think what we have a tendency to do is to lose sight of that fundamental principle of writing advices to clients. And we lose sight of it for a few reasons, which I'm going to come to. But before I come to it, let's think about why it's important to advise a client in a way that they will actually read. Firstly, the most important thing here to consider is that if a client knows that you have delivered the question and the answer in the way that they can most readily understand it, digest it, and take your advice and your recommendations and put them into action or disagree with them. Some clients disagree with advices. You get used to that after a while. But if the conclusion is clear and you have articulated the question which aligns with what they want the answers to, then that is the advice to the client. Now, think for a moment of the longest advice you have ever seen. And I think the longest one I've seen is about 110 pages long. Um, That was at the extreme end of the complexity scale. So what is it that makes a long advice long? I'll give you a few examples of what, in my experience, has a tendency to creep in that makes advices longer then perhaps they have to be. And we'll come back to whether they actually have to be long or not. But at what happens is the advices get longer. The client becomes less likely to read them. The conclusions become hidden in the body of the advice or just left as a punchline at the end or perhaps a synopsis at the start. And the client ends up actually only reading those parts. However, what they do see is that there has been 15 pages of stuff presented to them that they don't care about and they don't end up reading it. They really don't. Now, the difficulty with that process is, of course, that it costs a small fortune to produce such an advice, particularly of a quality that actually should be going out the door. It's easy to produce a rubbish advice that's 15 pages long, but by the time it's been edited, reviewed, settled, signed and sent, a lot of work has gone into a 10 or 15 or 20 page advice. So the question you need to be asking yourself is, does it need to be that long? Because I can tell you from experience, and this ranges from um, unsophisticated clients all the way up to large institutional corporations who have specifically expressed this particular desire, and that is they want the answer and our recommendation. That is all. They do not want all of the other guff that has a tendency to get stuck in advices. And I'll give you some examples now. Have a look at the longest advice. I have a think about the longest advice you've seen and tell me whether it had any of these traits. Did it contain a summary of every document that you had in your possession? Did it contain a statement of all of facts that had been communicated to you in order to prepare the advice? Did it contain a step-by-step heading by heading, reasoning process by which you um, reached your conclusion. Because I can tell you now, those are the three principal categories of things that end up in advices that make them really long and which clients don't read. Do you know why they don't read them? The first thing they don't read is a list of the documents that they've given you. You know why? Because they don't care. They gave you the documents. They know what they've given you. Now, we'll come back to why you've included that list in a minute and whether you really need to, but they don't care what documents you've relied upon. As a general principle, I've never 
in the last 10 years had a client come back and say, oh, your list of documents didn't include this particular document. Maybe it's happened somewhere, hasn't happened to me. The second thing they don't read at all is your summary of stuff they've told you. You know why? Because they told you that stuff. They assume you know that stuff. And if you need to regurgitate that stuff back to the client, all it means is you're concerned you weren't paying proper attention in the first place. So if your interviewing skills or your statement skills or your questioning skills are so poor that you actually aren't satisfied you properly understood your instructions, then that's a problem. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to spend five pages summarizing every single fact that the client has told you, especially if those facts aren't critical. Sometimes the facts are relevant and critical, but sometimes they aren't. So consider for a moment how much of that long advice was taken up by a restatement of facts that the client had already told you. The third thing they don't read, the legal reasoning process. Now, there are some clients who like to see the legal reasoning process, but most clients do not. If you've got a contract, for example, that you've been asked to analyze, or a breach of contract case, say, you don't necessarily need to set out in the advice, these are the elements of a contract, offer, acceptance, consideration, and a meeting of minds and an intention to create legal relations, or whatever the factors are in your particular jurisdiction. And then you go through how the facts that you've just spent five pages summarizing all have a tendency to go towards a conclusion on each of those points. And then after 10 pages of doing that, you say, we therefore conclude that there was a contract. Now, if the client wasn't asking you whether there was a contract at all, you didn't need to do any of that. You can just accept, I mean, go through the legal reasoning process by all means, but you don't need to tell the client the entire process. That's the point. They don't care about that. In their mind, unless there was a specific question about whether there was a contract and you need to address that question and tell them why you've reached a particular conclusion, there is no need to spend five pages going through the legal basis for contract. All you're doing is wasting your time, you're wasting your client's time, and you're communicating something that they don't care about. What they care about is probably, have I breached the contract or has the other party breached the contract? And if so, what are the consequences of that? And having regard to that, what should I do next? In a contract case, uh, in a breach of contract case, I should say, that is what the client cares about. Now, let's go back to the first couple and figure out whether we really need them at all. Traditionally, the reason we include those things, that is a summary of the documents and a summary of the facts, is because we want to cover our own backsides when it comes to us having missed something. That's why we're including it. Think about it. The only reason that you have included those things in there is so that in five years time, the client calls you after you lost the case or whatever and says, you advised me wrong. You can point to that letter and you can go, look, we wrote to you and we sent you a list of documents. And in that list was not the document that ultimately changed the outcome of this particular case and so it's not our fault it's completely your fault and you should have given us that document when you read that letter now the same basic reasoning process goes for summarizing the facts that is if you've made a mistake about the facts you are hoping that your client will point it out to you when they read your 15 page letter a few things to say about that i can understand it i'm a risk-averse person as well, as pretty much 99.9% .9 of lawyers are, but your client isn't going to read it. So 
In practical sense, it in fact does nothing because your client's not going to read a list of documents and they're not going to read a summary of the facts. All they're going to flick through is the final page where you tell them what the answer is and what they should do next. So putting it in there serves no functional purpose. Does it actually protect you? So let's have a look at this scenario. If your client has, in fact, stated something to you and you have just completely misunderstood that, or you've missed an email that they have sent you, or you have missed a document that they have provided to you, I've got to say I am not convinced that in the event that you have in fact just completely missed that thing, that that will necessarily save you having provided a list of documents. If, however, it's critical to you, why not just include that as an appendix to the letter? That way they can read it if they want, you've communicated to them the assumptions that you're relying upon, but they don't need to wade through two or three pages of stuff that they have in fact already told you in the first place in order to get to the critical part of the advice. So take it out of the advice is my suggestion. Other people will disagree with me, but this is my podcast so I can say what I want. Take it out of the advice, put it in an appendix or put it in an attachment or some other way of communicating it if you are so concerned about this particular thing that you feel a need to summarize documents and facts upon which you have relied. Now, there is an exception here, and that is assumptions. If you have not specifically been instructed something, but you are making an assumption, then that should go in the letter. Because it's firstly, and at least in Australia, it's uh, mandatory (laughs) that if your advice is conditional upon something, that you state that condition. And so the assumption is in fact a very relevant thing, and you need to say that explicitly in the letter, in my opinion. So Assumptions can go in the letter. Basic facts where you're just repeating back to the client, not so much. And frankly, covering your backside is not a good reason to include it in a letter. It's just demonstrating to the client that you don't trust them very much. And frankly, that they can't necessarily trust you. Because when a client tells you something or they send you something, they need to trust that you have taken it on board and that you have understood it. The time to ask the questions is when they've told you those things in the first place, not later on after you've just spent $10,000 of their money preparing a 20-page advice. If you've missed a critical fact, then that's going to cause issues irrespective of whether you state it or not. So make the advice shorter by removing those elements from it. That is the list of documents, the facts, and also the legal reasoning process. And then you come back to the core of what the advice actually is. So what should a legal advice contain? It should contain a statement of the question. If you have rephrased the question, or your client has asked the wrong question, or they have not, in fact, articulated the question, sometimes a client will just say, here's the situation, what do you think? You need to say what questions you are addressing in the advice. And I do think that's important, even if it's a restatement, because often a restatement in a legal sense will be different from the nature of the question the client has asked you. But don't necessarily go changing the question if they haven't asked you to do that, because you're going to get yourself in retainer issues. If you think different questions need to be asked and a different process needs to be undertaken, I'd suggest you go back to the client before embarking on that exercise, not just changing it as part of your advice and then advising on something completely different. Depends on your client. Uh, Some sophisticated clients, though, might already have an opinion about that other topic and might be specifically wanting your advice on that 
one discrete thing. So just be mindful of that. Changing the question can be a little bit dangerous. Your best bet is to answer the question that has been put to you and then to go on and say, however, we think it might be necessary to address this question. Have you considered it? And if not, do you want us to? And that's probably the best way of doing it. Now, a restatement of the question is step one. Statement of assumption, like I said, that's step two. If you're making assumptions, you need to put them in your advice. A statement of your relevant legal conclusions. Yes, there was a contract. It looks like party X has breached it. You may have a claim for damages based on what you've provided us. That claim is likely to be in the vicinity of a trillion dollars. That is all you need to say because that's all the client cares about. If there's further evidence you need or further risks that they need to be aware of, then that's the time to put it. You might say, for example, that your next step will be to gather some evidence to prove your trillion dollar loss. We've based our advice above on, your assum- on the assumption that you're able to come up with the numbers to support that um, and then to make recommendations for the next steps. But in doing that, you have answered the question they care about. And at the end of the day, that's going to foster more trust. It's going to build their confidence and it's going to create a better relationship because you're actually giving them what it is they need. Now, it doesn't mean you always answer the question in their favor. Obviously, sometimes you need to actually answer the question against a recommendation that they do anything about their potential claim or advising them that something's actually going to be bad or they're going to lose a case or they have no binding contract or whatever the situation may be. So that kind of advice work, um, obviously you need to have a proper statement of the conclusions and you may sometimes wish to sugarcoat that a little depending on your relationship with the client and how you think they're going to react to it. But you do need to be straightforward and communicate it directly because that is your job as an independent trusted advisor at the end of the day. You need to give sound and honest and frank advice to your client. So don't shy away from communicating the bad news. Just do it in a way that's obviously sensitive to the reaction the client's likely to have to it. One of the things that sometimes comes up in relation to drafting advices is that people think that in order for an advice on a complex issue to support the hefty bill that's going to go along with it, you need to have a lot of words in the advice. And this can be a difficult thing because clients do have a bit of a skewed perception about legal work. At the end of the day, legal work is fundamentally intellectual. Reaching the conclusion on the advice is an intellectual process, but the advice to the client, if it's too short or too succinct, a lot of people are concerned that they're not going to actually get any value. You send them a $10,000 bill and a two-page advice and people go, well, hang on. Why did it cost $10,000 for you to write two pages? I mean, I could do that in half an hour. So I understand that concern. That ultimately comes down to relationship with the client though. Because if you've given the client an appropriate estimate in the first place or an appropriate quote, and you are within that estimate, and the client can have an appreciation through the way you communicate the advice that you have gone through the paperwork that they have sent, that you have understood the question that they have asked, and that you have addressed the question properly having regard to the relevant principles of the law, then that fundamentally is a trust issue and you will find there won't be that many issues with getting your bills paid. Getting your bills paid is more about meeting expectations than anything else. So if you've provided an accurate estimate, you've answered the question that they have actually asked you, 
and you have done it in a timely fashion, then I do not expect that you're going to face too much resistance when it comes to issuing a bill within those parameters. If, however, you've taken longer or you've not addressed their question and you still send a hefty bill, or for that matter, if you give them an advice that's so heavily conditional that it's useless because you've gone so far towards the backside covering realm that, in fact, the advice doesn't answer their question at all, then you're going to have issues there because the client hasn't had the need for which they came to you actually addressed. So why does all of this matter? I mean, why should you care really whether a client reads your advice or not? Well, I've touched on it already in part. The first is trust. A client needs to trust that when they ask you a question, you will answer that question and you will do it within the parameters of the estimate and the time frame that you estimate for them. So that is issue one, is building trust. Answer the questions that are put to you in a way the client understands. The second is because you need to get in the habit professionally of communicating succinctly. Long-winded letters might be the habit of some people when they're advising clients, but I can tell you if you happen to be a court-related advocate, it's not going to do you any favours there. You need to get to the point very, very quickly and very succinctly in order to persuade a court. You cannot waffle on. So getting in a habit of communicating a point properly and directly and succinctly is going to do you in far better stead in the long term, in particular if you have any exposure to court work at all. But the final issue is one to be mindful of, which is profitability. Getting the work done and out the door faster is ultimately going to be more profitable. It's going to increase cash flow. It's going to free you up to do more work. And if you're busy working through 10 pages of summaries of facts because you're concerned there's typos all through them, or double-checking list of documents or whatever, that's going to take you more time. It might be a process that you have done, but simply the process of selling the 10 to 15 or 5 to 10 or whatever it is, pages of that kind of stuff is going to add to your time. And there are, frankly, more valuable things you can be doing with that time for the firm. So it does affect profitability because it affects the churn of your workload. It affects your ability to move on to the next thing, and it affects the firm's ability to bill for that job. If you go past when bills are issued, and I don't know how your firm issues bills, uh, we have a tendency to do it monthly, as do a lot of firms. So if because you're stuffing around with all that extra detail, a bill doesn't get issued until the following month, that's 30 days where the firm doesn't have that money. That's it in a nutshell. You're pushing out the time where that bill can be rendered to that client because it's not getting done as fast as it could have. So... Think about that as well. It's a productivity issue as much as anything else. If you're not finished, then you can't go on to the next thing and you can't issue the bill and that all impacts on profit. So you need to be mindful of that as well as client factors. So basically for those reasons, there are firm factors, there are client factors. It builds trust. It helps your ability to communicate things, but it also helps your firm to have a task finished and build. And ultimately it makes your client happier because you get it done faster. It's generally cheaper and it's generally more useful to the client. It doesn't mean you don't do the underlying work. It does mean you don't communicate every thought that's gone through your head to the client in a letter of advice. Those are my suggestions on how to prepare a letter of advice, or at least how not to prepare a letter of advice. Hopefully you've gotten something out of it. Give it a go next time you have a complex advice. Simple advice is one or two pages, not too bad, but when things get more complicated, when you've got more facts, when you've got more assumptions, See 
how your partner reacts. Have a chat to them if that's your style. See if you can propose a change if you're comfortable doing that. And I think you'll find that clients will respond positively to it. That's the end of today's episode. If you want the notes, tipsforlawyers.com slash episode 009. Like I said, it'd be great if you could leave an iTunes review. And I look forward to talking to you next time.